Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. Um, today's guest was referred to me by someone um, who you may remember her from Asher from um, the two-part episode of Tech's Attack on Black Women. So um, today's guest is Mel Stanfield. Mel, ex- uh, introduce yourself to everyone. Hi, I'm Mel Stanfield. I'm a researcher. I'm a professor at the University of Central Florida, and I look at the relationship between media industries and audiences. And so I actually came to know Asher through being referred by a fan in Asher's community to do a roundtable on women of color in fandom. And so, um, but fan studies is my main area of research. Really interesting. So Asher was the first person that I can say I've had a conversation with about this. I had absolutely know nothing about fandom. And so yeah. this, is, this is such a prolific space to be totally ignorant of um, <laughs> and how, how this, these spaces are actually having influence on what I see. Absolutely. Based yeah. on their, based on how they're responding to programming and, and all kinds of media. Um, it's so like fucking mind blowing to me because um, it's, you don't really, you think you, it's like, you don't even know that you're being, you know, you're being, I don't want to say manipulated, but if it, if I can say manipulated, you know, you're Sometimes being manipulated. It is manipulated. Yeah. But you don't even know who the manipulators are, which is right. weird. So I always start the show by um, asking my guests two questions. Um, could you tell me why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing a scene? So I'll let you um, answer those and then we'll get right into this and understand I, I am ignorant in this. So I really <laughs> want you to come from that space because so much about tech and, and, um, and, and now can add these spaces are dictating our experiences and we're just totally ignorant of them and the negative impact these things are having on our lives. So you go right ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, why is it important to cause a scene? Because we don't know how these things are affecting our lives, right? There are these huge impacts of um, media companies making choices based upon primarily economic interests, although, um, you know, they, they leave money on the table because they are not willing to pursue other marginalized audiences, right? So it's not always economic interests. And so these decisions about how do you design platforms and how do you design your Um, create your media objects like TV and movies. And, you know, when you say, when media companies say, we love our fans, what do they mean? Who do they mean? What kinds of practices do they mean? These are all really important areas that are shaping the media landscape. And it's important to know that. So um, how am I causing a scene? Well, I'm I'm calling attention to that. And uh, my book will be released in I think February, maybe March, um, from the University of Iowa Press. It's called Exploiting Fandom. Oh. Um, yeah, that's a marketing title. My original title wasn't that much, but I think it's, you know, uh, it's, it will get attention, hopefully. Yes, exactly. That's the job of marketing. Exactly. 
um, how the media industry seeks to manipulate fans is the mm. subtitle. Ooh. And um, it's been called controversial. It's controversial <laughs> in the field of fan studies. Good, good, so good. That's well, how I'm okay, what the hell is fan study? So it's like, I'm just totally ignorant. So there's a whole damn study on fandom? Yeah, absolutely. So people have been studying fans since around the mid to late 80s. Um, the, there's a, there were a series of books that were all published in 1992. Um, one of them was called Textual Poachers by a guy named Henry Jenkins, who is sort of considered the father of fan studies. But there were other a couple of other uh, books that were published at the same time that were published by women who then, of course, were not as seen as as central, which is Henry's a lovely man and he's very, he likes to hold people up, but people hold him up over women all the time, right, as often happens. So um, originally what people were studying mostly was Star Trek fans, because Star Trek fans, you know, a lot of the practices that we think of today, like fan fiction and um, fan videos and those sorts of practices originate in the form that we know them today from Star Trek fandom. So it's a field, you know, it's been going for 20 something years, almost 30, I guess. And um, it's um, it's allied with media studies and communication studies, but also with literary studies for people who study fan fiction as like they would study any other sort of novels or short stories. And, and, and I'm just giving, and I'm giving, I'm a historian. I'm a researcher. So I'm the initial, my question is because I'm so ignorant and I'm, sh- and I'm just going to assume, I'm going to make this assumption that many people are, don't know about this. So I'm just going to go, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to make that assumption and you guys can dislike it or not, but I don't give a fuck. It's my show. Um, that we need a one on one on one about this, uh, the fan fit, uh, fan studies 101. So how okay. did you get into what? Uh, yeah. How did you, how did you find, get in, interest, find a program? I mean, it's like really, well, I guess the reason it's blowing my mind is because it's so it's, it impacts so much of what we view and what we read and how we read it and the, the and through the lens with which it's communicated and the biases, but we're not aware of it. Yeah, and so that's where I'm freaking out here. I mean, having the <laughs> conversation with Asher as a fan was one thing, but now actually. We're, what, five minutes in, and I'm discovering that there's a whole study of this? There is. There was just a conference, actually, in Chicago. Oh, my God. So, yeah, so give me some background, and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty, because I just want to make sure we lay some groundwork, because I am totally ignorant about this whole genre. Well, so fan studies is like other kinds of subculture studies where you're um, a group that is separate from the mainstream and usually marginalized by the mainstream and you study their practices and you study them as people and it's very similar to things that you might think about. There's work that's been done in, um, you know, one of the classic examples were like um, punks in, you know, England in the 70s were a subculture study. And you go and you learn about what it's like to be those people and you let them tell you. And so it's similar with. Okay. Okay. Now you made some connections. Okay. I got you. Okay. Um, sometimes it's ethnographic, but one thing that's particular to fan studies that's not common in lots of fields is the idea of the ACA fan. So someone who is both an academic and themselves a fan are the people who tend to do this kind of research. And so there's has historically been a desire because there's a stigma around being a fan. And, you know, you you think the idea of like Trekkies, like the stereotypes. And so the desire to not be stigmatized 
um, has led to a fairly romanticized view of fans, as fans are always resisting mainstream media and those sorts of things, which made sense at the time, but also ignored the ways that these were largely white, largely middle class, you know, relatively educated folks, and that other people were missing from the story that got told originally. And so that's the work that's happening right now in fan studies, is who got, was missing from that story. All right. So now, thank you for that. Because again, um, the researcher, so you put it in, a, because it, it talks about, so there's a, uh, a, 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 and I can't even think of it right now, but there's a feminist, well, I'm not going to call her a feminist, um, but there's a, 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 a documentary that I watched on um, Netflix, in, uh, at The Ascent of Women. Mm-hmm. And it talks about how women through different cultures, through ages, um, lost power, even when they had power and, men, and the power was taken away from them through patriarchy or whatever. And as I watched that, um, it was very telling to me that it was only white women that from different eras and time, different places in the, uh, in the world who lost it. And so, and I'm, I make, I'm drawing this conclusion for everybody. I'm drawing these lines for everybody so you can understand this. Because what, she, what Mel just did is, and what I'm trying to explain is, there's this, um, the research starts at a very broad thing, which is always um, white supremacy. It's always focused on privileged individuals. And then right. it takes, and then once marginalized individuals start identifying that, okay, this is, this is, relevant and valuable and important um, study or information, but they're missing stories in this narrative. And it's when we don't allow the missing stories in the narrative that we can't continue to perpetuate the lies or the erasures of other people's experiences. And I want to, and I'm, oh, I have such aha moments on this show because that is what hashtag cause a scene is about. It's about you cannot, we cannot continue to create pro- products and services for a global market from this white supremacy, patriarchal, um, whiteness, privileged perspective because it does not tell the whole story. And when you leave out very vulnerable or when you just leave out um, stories that matter to people that have, an, that have relevance, then you're creating things that cause harm. Absolutely, yes. Thank you so much. I did not realize. So let me say this one thing, um, people. When people when people come on my show, I never. I just start with those two questions. They some people always want me to ask, like, do you have a list of questions? Nope. This is the only thing I'm going to ask you. These two questions, and we're going to go from there. Um, I don't actually talk to people before. I've um, most of the people I've seen on on Twitter or somewhere, and I've been interested in what they're saying. And I'm like, oh, that'll be an interesting conversation to have. But I like these fresh, authentic moments of when I can draw parallels or, or, or make connections and dots. So Mel and I have never spoken even before. And so thank you for, for that. Because now I really do, I saw the importance, but now I see the imperative. So yeah. continue to talk, continue on. Well, so the things that my book looks at that are, you know, I'm part of a larger shift that's happening in these conversations about fans and some things I do that are distinct from other people. So um, I look at the ways that media industries, when they have an ideal fan in mind, um, it is a heterosexual white male, right, is who they have in mind, which is, you know, not really surprising. But when are there all these conversations that are happening about, oh, media is interactive now and people on Twitter can talk back to the writers of the shows they watch and the writers will talk back to them. This narrative of everything is awesome now, 
um, needs some massaging or awesome for who? Awesome under what circumstances? So although these fans or marginalized communities are having these conversations, it's still not changing the, the ideal fan. Absolutely. Okay. Right. Which is in some ways determined by market. Mm-hmm. Um, that's who advertisers want. That's who's valued. But of course, those that group of straight white men is outnumbered by people who are not just that. So it, they are leaving money on the table by having this really narrow thing, even if they're pure economics is their motivation. And, and that's what I talk about often. I say lack of inclusion is a risk management issue mm-hmm. um, because it's, 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 and it's about ROI. This is all about, so the, just to give you um, a, a insight, the book that I'm writing um, is not, um, not asking permission giving notice. And that my subtitle is redefining capitalism without white supremacy. Yeah. And so this is what this is. It's, 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 it is, um, when you say that there is, um, when someone talks to you about black hair care products for women and you say there's no value in that, that tells me that you have no idea how much black women spend on their hair. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. 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 And so I'm, I'm part of a group of, there are folks who are like early career scholars, people who are, you know, in graduate school or have graduated from their PhD in the last five years or so, and a few other folks who are more senior who are starting to have those conversations specifically around race. That oh, has good. In academia. In, yeah, in academia. Wow, okay. So it's not something, the, the traditional focus of fan studies has been gender and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it wasn't examining race, it was implicitly white. Yes. So it was um, white women and um, LGBTQ uh, that were white. White folks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And specifically, you know, um, there's there's this idea that like women are taking media into their own hands and they're making it be what they want it to be by writing fan fiction and all of these things. And yes, and. Yes. <laughs> and which women have access to that and which don't and how does that rely on having leisure time and not working three or four jobs and all of these other questions that got missed yes. that are now being answered because the field is maturing a little bit more okay okay and it's funny that you said the yes and because that reminds me of a um, improv act um improv exercise that you know the mm-hmm. whole yes and okay yeah uh, um and that and uh, I like that because it is, it, it doesn't negate, and that's what people get, it think, or they, they get defensive. It doesn't negate what's gone before, but what it says is, and what else? You know, there's so much more, you know, it's not just that. And if we focus on that, that's when it is a problem. Um, when the focus is only on whiteness or on maleness or on white women. Because I tell people like all the time, white women are not diversity. Please no. stop saying that. Uh, white women oh, benefit- are the greatest beneficiaries of affirmative action. Exactly. Ex- <laughs> oh my Lord. And, and, and everything else. And, um, and everybody else is, wait, your turn is coming. Yeah, your turn is coming. It's like, yeah, it's yeah. no, no, our turn is here. Um, yeah. And so the fact that you, we have a Twitter and we can't speak directly to these writers and nothing has changed means that, yes, yeah, time to cause a scene. This hold up and wait up and be civil and all this other crap is not working because it, what it does is, um, and I say this a lot, civility is an option for white people, but it's mm-hmm. expected behavior of people of color, particularly yeah. black people in the United States. Absolutely. Um, and I, so, so get into some of these race conversations because I'm really interested in it because race, oh, academia does not like talking about race. <laughs> no, it doesn't. 
Um, and it's because academics like to think of themselves as progressive and academia likes to think of itself as a meritocracy. And um, But you can look at tenure track. You can look at who gets funded and know that's not true. Absolutely. But, you know, the, it's the same sort of fundamental underlying problem of whiteness in general is, yes, you worked hard, but other people who worked just as hard as you didn't have the same outcome because. And, and that's what I say. My hustle and your hustle does not get the same results. I mean, and so, and then what you end up doing is saying, I didn't work as hard. Well, there right. was something that I didn't do that, that didn't get there. You don't flip it on yourself. Oh, let me say, whiteness doesn't turn the mirror on itself and say, hey, how did I get here unfairly? What advantages did I have? It becomes on the person of color to, to, to well, there's something lacking in you. You didn't work hard enough. Lean in, lean in, you know, all these yeah. other things. Right. <laughs> and, you know, white women are starting to recognize that lean in is bogus. Mm-hmm. And so for them, and so therefore the connection of it's bogus for everybody else too should be the next step, but we'll see. It's going to take work, right? It doesn't happen by itself. And one of the things that I'm, I'm um, that has, white women are the linchpin for, in this for me. Mm-hmm. Um, they are the equalizer of this. Some of them know it, some of them don't. Um, and some of them will know it and use this, this understanding to further their own agendas and their own privilege. Yet I'm finding that the majority though are recognizing and waking up to the fact that they've been complicit in, in upholding white supremacy and privilege. And, and this is the part that is really, it's really shifting them. Not only the, the complicit part and they did not sign up for that, but they have people that they love that they're now recognizing that their behaviors have harmed. So it's the, it's the theoretical, and now they're putting the, the theoretical knowledge to practical life and saying, oh shit, this thing has been hurting this person that I've claimed to love or care about. And I've been doing these microaggressions. I've been doing all these things. I've been benefiting. I've been challenging them and all these things. And I don't want to do that. And I'm so happy um, after this midterm election, this is what I was waiting for, for there to be enough. And I'm going to say, I was hoping we didn't have a blue wave because having a blue wave would have had, just like with Obama's election, people sitting back, oh, we got there. We, we did it. This you Work know. is done. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and what not having this blue wave and also highlighting what's going on in the Florida election, what's going on in, the, in, in Georgia's election, all the voter suppression that's finally just coming out for people to see. Yeah. White women are in pain. Mm-hmm. They're seeing so much about what they thought they were raised to believe that they need to be protected from all these things. That protection came at a cost to other people. And yes. it was also a a farce. They didn't need protection. Right. That protection, that, that narrative of we doing, we're doing this to protect white women was, was perpetuated by white men to protect them. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm very encouraged because I haven't had as many white women literally DM me, reach out to me and say, Kim, how can I help? I really see it now. I don't know what to do next. What is going, I don't know what to do, but I know I can't keep moving in this direction. Yeah. And so I'm hopeful. Yeah, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. And now that I can, with this podcast and with the, uh, the one we did with Asher, start explaining to them, 
a different ways of because people think white supremacy and, and racism looks like swastikas and yeah. KKK. Which it does, but... Yeah, but that's the, that's the extreme. That's <laughs> yes. the extreme. That's the stuff yeah. we know to look out for. Yeah. But as you're talking about this fandom stuff, I never would have known to look out for this. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, continue. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> my mind is just racing here. <laughs> well, if we're thinking about the sort of ability of fans to push back and try to make claims and state claims to participation and belonging in the media... One of the cases that got a lot of attention a couple of years ago was um, in, I want to say spring of 2016, 2017, 2016, there were a whole bunch of show, TV shows independently made the decision to kill off their um, lesbian or bisexual women characters. Oh, good God. Okay. <laughs> so it was just, I think there were, I just saw a statistic the other day, but I don't remember what, I think it was like 13 or something, some fairly large number just every couple of weeks, somebody died on a show. Mm-hmm. And they they didn't coordinate, right? Mm-hmm. But they each made the same choice of who was expendable. Mm-hmm. And they happened to all do it at the same time. And one of them that got a lot of attention was on the CW, there's a show called The Hundred. Um, and it's, I sort of, I described it as um, Lord of the Flies meets Battlestar Galactica. Okay. So it's centered on these teenagers and um, them, you know, in a post-apocalyptic world, right? And the main character is bisexual, a white, bisexual white woman, and she wa- was in a relationship with another woman, and the other woman was killed, right? The lesbian white character was killed. And the fans, who are mostly teenage of this show, who have lots of time on their hands and know a lot about social media, basically had this incredible campaign. They made a huge amount of noise. They got an apology from the showrunner. They did all of this stuff. They got they bought a billboard in Burbank near the where the studio is. They like they crowdfunded a lot of money for um, suicide prevention, like all kinds of cool stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So it is on one hand this moment of fans taking action and doing something really impressive, but on the other hand, Asher and other folks um, in the fandom had been pointing out. In, in adjacent fandoms, I guess, and I'm pointing out, hey, your show is super racist. They're abusing mm-hmm. all the characters of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then when this moment happened where these, these youth were suffering, we had to be like, yeah, but why did you think they weren't going to come for you? Oh, oh, you just, oh, you just said it. You just said it. It just said it because that's the, that, that's, that's the pain that white people are feeling right now. White supremacy is like a parasite and it's eaten on itself. And for the first time, white people are now feeling what everybody else is feeling. And because parasites eat at some point, they have to eat. That's all they know. Right. um, That you're going to feel this. And this is where um, um, the, the, the Kavanaugh thing just blew so many women of color, particularly black women's freaking mind. All the screaming and hooping and hollering that white women did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have this this campaign of like, oh, we're gonna appropriate taking a knee. No, fuck, you're not. Yeah, you no. don't respect <laughs> you. This is was for Black Lives Matter, and now you you're gonna appropriate, huh? I was like, you do your own thing. To, to yes, make your I was like, do a yoga pose, do whatever yeah. the fuck you need to do, but don't yeah. t- because it tells me first of all, now you've not only appropriated, but you. It tells me that you had never no affinity to that movement at all but now um you 
<laughs> you, you want to, because, oh my God, he, he was so angry. Uh, they've been, white men have been angry to people of color, black people forever. Right. Black women are the most underrepresented, underreported, uh, not believed people of, um, when it comes to rape and sexual harassment, period. But when it touch, touches whiteness, it makes you uncomfortable, then you want to protest. And, and people have been on the sidelines protesting, just like the Me Too movement. They cannot give this woman credit for Me Too. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's important to know that sometimes terms circulate for a long time in one area and they don't break through into other areas. And, like, that's an important moment yes. when that happens. You yes. yes. also have to talk about where it came from. Yes, exactly. Yes. So there, was a, there was a controversy in fandom a few years ago. Um, where people had um, did a campaign of slash ships matter and it was and so slash is when you are um, advocating for same-sex relationships right okay okay and thank you <laughs> it, it happened after Trayvon so that Black Lives Matter existed mm-hmm. but it happened before Ferguson so that white people had never heard of it yes and so later there were like, nobody said anything at the time because nobody, but then, you know, a couple of years later, it's like, oh, you were appropriating Black Lives Matter. And it's like, in hindsight, we would never use that term again because it means something different yes. now. Yes. But at that time, nobody knew about it. Everyone in the hashtag call the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, Tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com. And those are the spaces where we have to, we have to... We have to be aware mm-hmm. and we have to be compassionate mm-hmm. and empathetic. Yes. Um, and, and in the rare cases, I give white people the benefit of the doubt because white people get the benefit of the doubt all the fucking time. But these are the rare cases when I say, you know what, if they, there was totally no awareness, then you can't. Um, I, I'm not going to hope, but now that you know, you can't unknow. Now the right. decisions you make from there are what's going to tell me where, yeah. where, what's important to you. And I say yeah. that all the time. And that's why I do what I do. Um, because all, you know, everybody's in tech, oh, we don't know how to improve this. Okay. I'm sick of you saying you don't know how to improve it. I'm going to show you how to do it. Now, once I've shown you now that ignorance is off the table. And if you don't do something now, we're having a different conversation. You're saying that this is not important to you. And that's Absolutely. totally different. And so that's, those are the very the various ways I kind of move around in the space and take each thing at, as a as a separate thing. And there's there's no one size fits all for this, and that's another problem we have. Everybody was like, "Well, it worked over there." Well, this is a different community, right? You, you know, you have to understand the nuances and the members of this community and it, th- th- those kind of things. So, thank you for bringing that up because that is so true. And so, the fact that it was the hashtag, as you know, they sub- celebrated the hashtag anniversary. Um, one year anniversary. It should have also been, um, th- you know, the ha- th- and thanks to the work that was being done based on this thing. Instead of the erasure of as if this movement started a year, just had only a year um, right. in the making. Um, and those are the those are the fine and those are the things that that people who are not from marginalized or oppressed communities don't see. And this is why I right. say they can't lead these movements because they just don't see it. 
Um, yeah. And it's not, I don't know what it's like to be a transgender woman. So I cannot lead that. What I can do is amplify. That's all I can do and learn and support and, and that. But I cannot get on a platform and talk about the transgender woman experience. That would be so disingenuous and just a shit show. Um, yeah. And so when you've never consistently experienced oppression, you are not the person to talk about it. You don't see it. I can look at any situation and point out, just from a black woman's perspective, where the oppression and the racism and stuff comes from. I can't do that for, for other groups of mar uh, marginalized people. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's a scholar, Kathy Cohen, um, who she published a really famous piece about oh, 20 years ago now. And um, it was a it was the first time I really understood intersectionality was reading this piece. But her argument was, you know, middle class, property owning white gay people are, you know, oppressed in one way and really powerful in others. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, the sort of archetypical, you know, fear mongering idea of the welfare queen as a sort of woman of color who is poor but heterosexual. Right. Yeah. That straightness does not outweigh the other things that are also true and marginalized about her. Yes. Right. Yes. And so that we all have these profoundly different experiences and we have points of contact and we have points of distance. And that she was a real, and still is, I mean, she's still publishing today. I think she's at University of Chicago now. Um, uh, coalition. Right. We don't have the same experience. We're not all marginalized in exactly the same way. Yes. But the things that we have in common, we can share. And the things that we don't, we don't talk over each other. about those things. Exactly. And that's and when I, I want to give the example, go back to the example of transgender woman, women. Um, although I, I am learning from and amplifying the voices of transgender women in general, I'm specifically targeting transgender women of, of not of color, black women, because right. they're being decimated. They are being Absolutely. slaughtered. So yeah. it's black, it's um, black trans women, transgender women who I really want to their voices to be heard. Um, and that does not just going back to what you said. It does not mean that I don't care about transgender women in general. Mm -hmm. There's just an, there's just a need, a dire, serious life or death need for the light to be sh uh, sh shown on these women. So. Yeah. And that oh, intersectionality is just, mm, it is just, it is a term that is a, once you understand it, it's paradigm shifting. Mm -hmm. It's a paradigm shifting term and you can't go back. Um, and it explains so much. It really does just what, and I know I'm going to pronounce this wrong and somebody's going to correct me. Um, but even when we talk about sexual harassment, and people say misogyny. Yeah. But when you talk about black women, it's misogyny. Noir. Thank you. Misogyny. Misogyny noir or misogyny noir. Misogyny noir. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Misogyny. I don't know how many syllables it has. Actually. Yeah. Pointed out. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and because it's so, it's such a different experience. And so mm -hmm. when white women talk, and it goes back again, we've talked about going back to the Kavanaugh thing. Our sexual harassment and your sexual harassment is not the same because ours sexual harassment as black women is based in slavery uh -huh. and, and how whiteness owned us and could uh -huh. do anything with our bodies. So when yeah. we, so we've never, for, for us, that's why feminism doesn't work for us. It's all about white feminism because for us, it's owning who, I, who we are as a person first. Uh 
If we're not yeah. talking about me owning myself as a person first, your fe- feminism has nothing to do with me. Absolutely. While you're talking about equal pay, that's great. That's all great. <laughs> yeah. I want all of that. But my first thing as a black woman in the United States is to talk about how safe I am. Mm-hmm. There's always tension around that. And the same thing with the term queer and queer theory and queer studies, you know, feminism, queer studies. Um, do we try to take the term back and say, live up to your promise and potential and actually do the thing you claim to do? And so feminism needs to not be white feminism anymore. Mm-hmm. Or do we say we can't use that term because that word is too freighted with all the baggage and all of the ways it hasn't gotten it right, we should do something else. And like, there's arguments to be made for both sides. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, I never know what side to come down on on that. But the fact that we're having the conversations now is, is, is the important thing because we haven't had the conversations. And, and the fact that we're having conversations outside of just white people having these conversations, because mm-hmm. now you get perspectives from other people that will, that might help you decide on where, where to come down on these things. And that's the whole, that's my whole point. It's like, once, I don't know why people think inclusion is about subtraction. It is right. all about not even multi, not even addition. It is about multiplication. Absolutely. It is when, and, and that's why you saw the black uh, vote like black women all on Twitter. When when you when we all when w- black women work, the work that we do is on literally on our behalf. But mm-hmm. everybody benefits from it. Right. Yeah. And it's like we need to think about those things. It's like where can we. And I know this is getting off because because we're talking about feminism and this this radical feminist and this yeah. turf shit. I just I'm just like, how? I have had so many backs and forths with people. I'm yeah. just like, and and the the and it's like we're not having a we we cannot debate because our dis- definitions of what a, defines a woman are fundamentally different from the start. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't. You can say whatever you want to, but fundamentally, we have different ideas of what makes a woman. Absolutely. Yeah. And the idea that there is one distinct thing that all women share relies on whiteness. Yes. Yes. You know, even though there are, in fact, you know, there are TERFs who are women of color, but it's, it's a mindset that there is only one way to be a woman and it is this. And I want to speak to you about that because a lot of women of color are, we also, we have internalized white supremacy and a lot of um, anti-blackness in us. And it's been the thing that's been, uh, hell, the paper bag test. You know, if you didn't have a certain color, you couldn't be a part. So all, I, I totally am not surprised. And um, particularly uh, when it comes to the church, the Bible has been used to, to um, enslave so many minds. Um, particularly in the black church, because that was again civility and how um, control our behavior by give. Because that was the only thing, if we were allowed to read, to read, to do, only thing we could do was read the Bible. Yeah. Um, and so I totally get that. And I and again, this is where I am. T- I have empathy because I recognize that this system that we've all been in, and it goes back to I want to draw this line back to the fandom thing. Mm-hmm. We've been living and not understanding the things that are influencing us. Absolutely. Yeah. But they've been by design, which is really some somebody has been the puppet maker in all this. And yeah. it's like we've just all just been sitting around thinking, yeah. oh, this is reality. This is the fucking matrix. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the way I think about power is that it doesn't require that there be a puppet maker, but that a series of choices that individuals make 
produce in aggregate the effect as if there were a public yes. record. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That's um, good. Okay. <laughs> about this idea of you know inclusion as subtraction that you had mentioned earlier, the sort of fear that people have that when other people get something they have lost. You see it really clearly in fandom, right? The thing that happened, you know, with Star Wars and with Ghostbusters and with um, Gamergate, um, with with video games, and this idea that if suddenly media companies are catering to people who are not me, whoever that person is, and it's you know predictably a, a narrow group of people, then I have lost something. Is really powerful, and because when you are used to being dominant, equality looks like a loss. And it's really interesting when you're saying that, that um, the loss thing is when they don't understand that th their gain was only gained by nothing they've done. They've absolutely done nothing to be the de facto whatever nope. that is. Yeah. Um, and so other people to be, just to be recognized or having to put a lot of energy in it to just... And uh, this draws the conclusion to what I... The, the, why... The conversations with, I don't know why people continue to want to have conversations with these, these, if, if your message is about hate and elimination of other people, there, why, there is no equal. We're not on equal ground. Why do we keep trying to, there is no debate. Again, just like with the definition of what, a, what makes a woman, we're not, debates have rules and they all have, everybody has to agree upon the rules before you can get started. Absolutely. I'm not going to have a converse, I'm not going to debate my existence. My no. Human. And so yeah. we continue to have those conversations. We legitimize that and put it on an equal footing with a um, person who's trying to fight for their own humanity, their own identity. Mm -hmm. And th then that's where, the, that's where the fear comes from because you've never had to give up anything. Yeah. And understanding that this is not a fucking pie with eight slices. We can yeah. have infinite pies with infinite slices. Absolutely, yeah. And so arguing this, if we don't prioritize the needs and the safety of the most marginalized and vulnerable people in, this, in our communities, we will never move forward. No, absolutely. And that's what I try to do in my classroom. Um, you know, I think folks who are safe everywhere don't need me to act look over them especially much people who are not safe elsewhere are the people that i need to stand up for more exactly and so how do you because that's what my conferences are i only have marginalized people speak mm -hmm. um and and i have a, a audience expectation where my co my conference is safety for my speakers and if you at any point as an audience member choose not to break that you and i will be having a conversation right it's not about you it's about yeah. them and them being able to authentically tell their stories so that as we've been having this conversation, we can start being educated on the experiences of other people so we can start making better choices, more informed right. choices. So how yeah. does that show up in your, your classroom? Well, I mean, at the moment I'm teaching media economics, so we don't have a lot of those conversations. Um, but in terms of the, the direct subject matter, it comes in, you know, from the, the the edges in some ways. Um, so when we talk about, you know, audience research or um, targeting your products and market segmentation, we say like, hey, there's a choice that people are making about who they're targeting. Um, and there's conventional wisdom, like, you know, one of the examples I give, and I was just, um, I'm doing a project where I was reading a bunch of press coverage about Black Panther. So I was just, this is an example I have in mind. There used to be this belief that um, 
media products that had black leads didn't travel, that people in other countries wouldn't watch them. And so they weren't internationally viable, right? Mm -hmm. But of course, Black Panther is one of the most successful movies ever made. And there are literally only two white people in the whole thing, right? Yes. And I remember all the, I remember all of the angst about that before it came out. Yeah. Um, and you saw really, that was when I really, because again, this is not my space, but this yeah. is when I really saw racism in, mm -hmm. in that space of, um, yeah, that's when I really was like, damn, these people really have a problem with people of color in yeah. these stories. And so this idea that some, mark, some products are not viable is a belief system in the media industry that is not true, right? It's just mm -hmm. perpetuated myths that have happened over time. And so that's a great example. I'm like, look, you know, here's the thing that industry believes that's not true. What are the things that your industry believes that are not true? Exactly. And I sort of try to get them to do that because they're web and game design students. Oh, okay, cool. Oh my God, there's been a, um, a lot because I follow some gaming people mm -hmm. and just getting people of color in there and having arguments about, because... Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to show my ignorance here, but again, this historian part of me, it's about people saying, oh, that's not authentic based on the history of this thing. Or and it's <laughs> oh, like, yeah. dude, white people created the fucking history. What are you talking about? Well, also, like, if you're going to complain about people of color in your vaguely medieval setting, but you're not going to complain about potatoes, <laughs> you know that it's actually not about historical accuracy. Yeah, yeah. And so that has been that has been interesting to sit back and watch. Um, and this is why I, and this is why I want to talk about capitalism, because people all oh, capitalism back. No, capitalism is a theory. It's how it's been implemented, which yep. has been the problem. And it's been implemented based on in the United States and around the world based on um, justification of slavery and oppression of people around the world. And colonialism. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. And so if we don't address that, none of these things we're doing are going to have a fundamental impact because we're not shifting what's at the root. We're not looking at what's at the root of it. And it's very interesting because I, until recently, was um, getting my DBA, Doctors of Business Administration, focusing on technology entrepreneurship. Finished all my coursework because I, wasn't, I went in it because I was not finding, although the internet has a lot of information, it's, it's really a challenge at times to, to gain knowledge from that information. Absolutely. Um, so I went to, to get the information. And once I started working with schools, I mean, not schools, with clients and, and how to build businesses, and the more and more I was becoming aware of what white supremacy is and the role it's playing in my life and that black women are the most fucking degree women, people in the country and with the most um, um, debt. I just said, screw it. I didn't fit. I'm not finishing because um, I was working on my proposal. First of all, to go through academia, I'm in the tech space. My stuff needs to be relevant. Everything you have me looking at is old. Yeah. Um, and I then publishing is slow. <laughs> yeah. And then I am tired of having to prove myself to whiteness. Because yeah. it's, 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 and so people are like, oh, you need a degree. No, fuck, I don't need a degree. I'm going to do it my way. And I don't need a doctor on my name to prove that. And so yeah. if I ha can be the person who, who, um, who does that and shows people, because l let's be honest, many black women wouldn't be where they are in their careers if they had, don't have advanced degrees. Although we're not getting paid for those advanced degrees, but we right. definitely we wouldn't be as, as far as we are in our careers with that. Right. And so it's, it's those things about academia, fandom, mm -hmm. um, um, games, um, 
um, hair care products, all these things yeah. that are rooted in white supremacy. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, there is, there's a whole group and it's a smaller group than it should be, but there's a group of folks who are looking specifically at um, technology from a black perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, these are a lot of my, my favorite folks at conferences. Um, so, you know, those are people you should invite on next. Actually. Yes, that's what I'm about to say. Cause I was like saying, can you, can you give me a list so I can not only drop it in the show notes, but that I can start yeah. inviting because this yeah, I mean, conversation, these are the conversations I want to have because most white people aren't complicit by choice. No, it's out yeah. of ignorance. Yeah. Um, your, how you've been raised is designed to keep you in ignorance because if you knew what was actually going on, you wouldn't be complete. You wouldn't be intentionally complicit. Yeah. Um, so my whole goal, and I'm an educator by choice, is to educate so yes. that we can all move this thing forward. Because the yeah. more we, the more white women that I have, the more white men that say, hey, this shit is wrong, but I can use my privilege. I can lend my privilege to change this. The less work that people of color who've been doing this work for years have to do. Yeah. And also, I mean, for white people to realize that they have race too that races does not race does not just mean people of color just like gender doesn't just mean women that is the biggest fight we get that is the yeah. biggest fight we get whiteness was created for you guys and yet you don't want to own it <laughs> well, it's a back formation right whiteness is created after yeah right? just like heterosexuality is created after homosexuality like once yeah. you own the thing you're not then you have to figure out what you as the what you are person. yep yep <laughs> yep so this um it's all it's ontologically prior um, in some ways. And so that's, but it's baggage and it's, and the ways that, you know, I, I first started to understand this when I got into critical whiteness studies and looking at how whiteness works as a system and the history and the development of it. And that's a whole reading list all by itself. Oh my God. Um, please provide, please send. <laughs> well, oh, you do not know what my Trello board looks like. I have, yeah. I have categories. Yeah. Because I'm forever dropping articles on Twitter. Read this. Yeah, read this. Yeah. Yes, please share. <laughs> but basically, the, the the argument that I find compelling is that whiteness gets invented to convince working class white people to have common cause with the ownership class rather than the workers yes. who were in the Americas, you know, slaves, but also elsewhere, colonized people. Mm-hmm. And and again, and that's and you and you're seeing that now with a lot of the people who voted for Trump who are now upset because um, all these jobs he said he was going to keep here. And I'm like, you right. And this is this is not an indictment on them as humans, um, as as but as individuals. You were so caught up in your whiteness that you did not do your homework to understand that, first of all, coal is going. We're not, that's not coming back. Um, Trump has absolutely no control over individual private company about where they go and and what they offshore. Because by law, um, unless you are a um, L3C or um, a a B Corp corporation, you are only beholden to your shareholders and and, and improving shareholder value. And if that means taking that that company or those jobs overseas, that's where the hell it's going or the organ or the board of directors or CEO is going to be sued. Um, You did not do your work. So it's the same stuff that you saw um, well, that I didn't see, but that was, like you said, um, when people were trying to go to court to be identified as white or mm-hmm. all these other things, because what it did was 
it helped when, when these poor white people and these poor black people saw that they had the same situation and people in the, and, and to protect their own interests, um, powerful white people say, Hey, 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 no, 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 you're not the same. You're white. Yeah. And you now are voting and acting against your own interests to protect your whiteness. And yeah. even, and if we can get and my whole thing is we don't have to, and there's no way we're going to turn everybody, but if yeah. we can get a small sect of them. That's enough to turn the tide on this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's enough to turn the tide on this. And that is where it's what I'm looking for white women to, to start talking once they are are informed and and, and ready um, to start talking to their, their, their uncles, their aunts, their grandparents, because it takes just, it's just, uh, these elections now are, are hairpin. Right. I just saw, um, so 53% vote, uh, white women voted Republican in 2016. It's yeah. a 49-49 split this time. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yes. Movement. Yes. <laughs> and so yeah. people were upset. And yeah, we saw a lot of white women vote for, you know, the and, and, and Alabama, I mean, not Alabama, and Florida and Georgia. I mean, yeah, yeah and, 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 um, and Texas. Yeah. But what you yeah. saw, but what you're seeing, though, is they're moving over. Yeah. And a lot of that happened. And that's another thing that I'm, 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 I tell people, I'm not upset that Trump's in office. I'm, ups- I'm very happy he's in office because he finally, his, his being elected finally woke up white people who were, oh, we're post-racial. We dealt yeah. with racism in the 60s. Why are you complaining? Why are you, everything's about race? Why are you being so sensitive? All these things have come up to the surface. Yeah. And for the first time, um, cause I don't even think it was this, it was this, this many people who got it in the sixties during the civil rights movement. This no. is, the, this is white people from every class are like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, absolutely. And I did not know that this was going on. Yeah. How did I miss this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in our final moments, what would, oh, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much. I feel so educated and now I'm, I'm already, I'm looking for I have so much to read, but I'm just like, crap. I have a whole another two, two new genres of um, areas of study I have to go down. Yeah. Thank God I'm a multi-potentialite. So I, <laughs> I like all these different areas because they connect dots for me. Because people okay. are, are looking, they, they act and work and perceive life in silos. These, we have to change the system for this to work. And unless yeah. you see the connecting parts of the different silos in the system, it's not going to happen. So in our last few moments, please share with me something. What what would you like to end on? Looking at the ways that fans are interacting with media industries and the ways that there's this narrative of democratization and that people can make choices, but there's all of these structural impediments to those choices that people don't see. Mm -hmm. Um, is why looking at fandom can help us understand the much broader cultural questions and the what are the impediments to social change more broadly and what are the places where people are um, have conflicting interests and they're upholding inequalities because it benefits them in some ways even though it harms them in other ways. (sighs) Thank you. Because that's the reason I'm, I'm focused on tech, because tech is that micro of the macrocosm. Mm-hmm. Um, to look at the macro would be overwhelming for anybody. But if yeah. I can talk about one or two tech companies and give examples of how to move forward, people like feel empowered and they're like, oh, this can be done. 
Yeah. So now you've given me a new lens to go investigate of looking at how fandom is functioning and how we could use examples of from fandom to move this to 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 improve inclusion and diversity and the experiences of everybody. And as you as you said, you know, it's like you're leaving money on the table. It's like yeah. you know. We have money. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, if you're interested in the tech side, I'd invite you to look at look at the archive of our own. It's a it's a fan run, um, fan fiction website. It's run by a nonprofit. It was coded by fans for fans. They own the servers. And is it was it our own dot com or? Uh, yeah, archive of our own dot com. Archive of our own. Okay. Yeah. So it's, you know, um, Virginia Woolf famously said, a women need a room of their own to be able to write. Uh-huh. So it's sort of an archive of, of our own for fans. And that's been looked at as a sort of a feminist HCI project. Found um, okay. Human-computer interaction. So it was, that was all designed by women, mostly. Okay, cool. Just <laughs> fans for fans. Yeah, so... So thank you, Mel, so much. This has been an amazing conversation. I actually may bring you back um, at some point because this has been, I'm so <laughs> sure there's so many rabbit holes we can go down with yes, this. There are. Well, we can come back when I'm going to release my book and we can talk yes. about the book. <laughs> That'll be great. That'll be great. All right. Awesome. All right. Have, have a great day. Thank you. Thanks, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Cause the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Cause the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Cause the Scene community. Just visit the website at HashtagCauseTheScene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Cause the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.